Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hello, friends. This is David from Bothwell in Scotland, and you are listening to the award-winning Tennis Podcast. Well, David has made it very awkward there with his introduction by blooming well mentioning the fact that we are now an award-winning tennis podcast. We were all going to take the high road and be very hashtag humble about it all and just, you know, frankly not mention it. But David, David has left us with with no choice, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, I was going to leave it at least four seconds before I mentioned it. <laughs> Hmm. David, you've David, you've done David a solid there. You have. Very proud by, of you. By starting the the smugness ball rolling. <laughs> you say that, Catherine. We didn't have to use David's intro today, but you know we chose to. <laughs> who's, who's the we there, Matt? <laughs> that would be me. I loved it when it popped <laughs> in the inbox. Magnificent. Uh, thank you, David, for that wonderful introduction. We know David. He's a, a long-time listener. Says he started listening to the podcast in 2016 after Andy Murray became world number one. And he hasn't missed an episode since. So that's good going if you started listening because Andy Murray came be, became world number one. Because from an Andy Murray point of view, very much downhill since then. Um, but you've stuck with us, David, and here you are introducing a very, very special show for us because, um, yeah, if you'll allow us just a few minutes of indulgence, um, we would like to talk a bit about the fact that we won the British Podcast Awards Award for the Best Sport Podcast, and David is sitting with that very award right now. I'm not sure he's put it down in the last four days. Have you, ha, has it left your hands, David? It has, yeah, but I've picked it up a lot of times after I put it down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I, I have the uh, privilege of the uh, the first instalment of custody of the award as we uh, we hand it over to one another for a relay to show our various <laughs> friends and family. Uh, me and my kids, they've all had their photo taken with it. I, I mean, it is lovely. I mean, it's 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 a beautiful award um, physically, but I mean, its meaning to us is certainly for me is significant because the British Podcast Awards 
they are what they say they are they they are the the best of the best in this country and and the whole industry is invested in them and interested in them and and frankly I was absolutely blown away to be shortlisted for it alongside four BBC sport podcasts and and little old us an independent produced basically by the three of us and several people we work with but I mean you know that that felt like something really special um and for for it to come after more than a decade of of building the thing up and and we laugh about the fact that we never win anything <laughs> we've never won anything and uh and this is kind of the biggest award in the industry um so to be recognized like that really that really does mean something i think it might be the first thing i've ever won matt I bet you did did winning things at school. Uh, I won the French prize in year seven. <laughs> cool. Oh. That's ex- that is exactly what what this the the wheelhouse that I thought <laughs> that I thought you were going to come in with. Yeah. How many did you beat? Well, I I suppose everyone in the year who did French. Good work, Matt. Mm. Although year seven, you know, that's, that isn't really the time you want to be peaking. <laughs> I remember my brother won the maths marathon in year seven. And because I was a nerd and continue to be a nerd, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> well, I'm peaking age 50, it seems. So uh... mm. We are, if it's not clear, folks, we are absolutely chuffed to bits because, you know, as much as... Uh, you know, we're not doing this to win awards. I think we would have given up some time ago <laughs> if we were. Um, that's obviously, you know, it's it's a nice sort of accoutrement to what we do. Everyone needs external validation sometimes. And um, it's exactly that. And it really, the recognition really means something to us. And um, I'm going to do a Matt Roberts and thank the voters that didn't vote um, <laughs> I was going to say, one thing I didn't have to do after collecting the French prize in year seven was give an acceptance speech. And I now have newfound sympathy for all those people who have to do it because I, I blanked and thanked voters in a in a judged category. <laughs> we got what happens when you win a thing is you get ushered. Well, at this particular award show is you get ushered to a, a backstage room um, that only winners get to see and you're sort of held hostage in an interview situation. <laughs> we were interviewed by Lad Baby or one half of Lad Baby, mm. which is a sort of novelty act that have had five Christmas number ones in a row in the UK. L- look them up if you want to know more. If you don't, th- that's fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had one microphone between us uh, and I, I was clutching it in the middle. So I sort of just passed the buck and threw the questions over to Matt and David and it was all it was all weird but yeah although there weren't <laughs> officially voters um uh, it's pretty obvious to say that uh, without all you listening and supporting us and friends of the tennis podcast and contributors over the years we we wouldn't be sit here sitting here being being smug in the way that we are so um 
we're very grateful and we're grateful for if anybody if, if if well if you're listening now then you haven't tuned out but thank you for sticking with these six minutes of uh, of gloating and it's a very well-timed award isn't it because it it has come at a time when we can we we can spare six minutes on the pod for a bit of gloating because <laughs> i'm finding tennis tough at the moment to follow <laughs> i i i'm forcing myself for for my art um, you're welcome, listeners, but I'm finding it tough. Well, they're not making it easy. Yeah, I was going to say, they're, tennis is making it thing. tough. They're making it tougher. Am I right, Matt? They're making it tougher than it's ever been. And I think because of this weird start and end time to these tournaments, uh, I think only on the men's side, but they're, they're all finishing midweek. And but but, but that, well, the fact that it's only on the men's side, now that we have a a, a combined event... That actually makes it tougher that it's only on one on one side. Yeah, because Beijing is happening for both the women and the men. Uh, they're playing in literally the same venue. Uh, for the women, it's a one thousand event. For the men, it's a five hundred event, and they're they're running on on totally different timetables. We're at the we're at the semi final stage of the men's tournament, and only in the sort of second third round stage of the women's tournament um, on the on the tennis apps. You know, you put up the order of play, but because they're separate events, the order of play is sort of incomplete. It only has the men's section on the men's bit and the women's only has the women. They're not it's not all combined. It's all very confusing. Um, It's it's for a good reason, I think, that the men's events are so out of sync. They they push the start times of those events back a couple of weeks ago so that players were encouraged to play Davis Cup and that they would then have more time to be able to get to their next tournament. So I think it was a good thing, really, that they did. And, you know, it's just a problem of the tennis calendar that it's so cluttered that that is the sort of measure that they, that they have to go to. And it has thrown me out of sync. It's, it's thrown all of us out of sync because, yeah, y- yet again, we're in a position on, on the Monday podcast where we can only sort of cover half tournaments because we've got we've got results from the women's tournaments but we don't fully have the results from the men's tournaments in Beijing and Astana yet and uh, yeah it's it's very confusing when will it get back in in sync because you need a fallow week to be able to sort of have four days off to reset and tennis doesn't have fallow weeks so we'll be now out of sync for the rest of time in men's tennis (laughs) no no, enter Shanghai Which right? Oh, <laughs> oh, well done, Shanghai. <laughs> which is a twelve-day Masters One Thousand event, which we've got used to throughout the year. The difference is Shanghai is only for the men, and I think that tournament is really going to drag. There's going to be a lot of days where you're looking at the schedule, thinking, "Where are all the all the brilliant matches that we're so used to Masters One Thousand events being about?" Um, you know, there's a very strong field. There will be great matches and stories from that tournament, but I don't think it's going to flow in in quite the way that we like those those events to flow. Yeah, I think I think Shanghai could be a a tough scene for a few few days. Um, we'll come on to that uh, a little bit later on. Let's start with some results. So these are tournaments that have ended. They have ended. <laughs> On the weekend, at a time when you would expect a tennis tournament to end, 
Um, and they have been won in Ningbo by Ons Jabur and in Tokyo by Veronica Kudamitova. Let's start in Ningbo, Ningbo with Jabur. 6-2-6-1 for her over Diana Schneider in the final. See, she's good. She's good, Diana <laughs> Schneider. Yeah, who are you um, pulling for, Catherine? This is something I really wanted to know. I mean, obviously, we, we try to report objectively, but we all obviously have our favourites to some degree. And you love both of them. Yes, I do. I do. And Danish, I really was taken by Diana Schneider at the Australian Open this year. And I went all Nicholas Jarry with her, you know, just sort of every time her name would pop up going, she's good, she is. But I don't know why she's not having results, but she is good. Fun player. Um, she is a fun player. She's a lefty. She's she's, she's interesting. She She does things with the ball that I'm not quite expecting. I think she's a bit quirky. I think she... She carves her own path in the world and on the tennis court, um, as evidenced by her bandana situation, which I think is fabulous. They're they're custom-made bandanas. And I was reading an article about her earlier on the WTA website about how she she got quite a lot of stick from, you know, she's only 19, from sort of girls at, at college and at school for her bandana look. It's sort of not being not being the right aesthetic and her parents encouraged her to just, you know, do your own thing, do things your way. Oh, I love it. Um, uh, yeah, it's really cool. And she she wore it because she's, she's very fair-skinned and her parents were worried about her in the sun, but she found it difficult to do her ball toss with a cap or a visor on, which is something I, I'm surprised isn't more of an issue at my incredibly low level of tennis I've always found the ball toss an issue with a, a cap or a visor on anyway so she found the bandana solution and it is working a treat for her <laughs> when I went out to watch her in US Open qualifying a month or so ago they, she had two team members there her coach and someone else of a of a similar age um, to Schneider and she was also wearing a bandana on on the sidelines so it's like a it's like a team team uniform i really enjoyed that i love it i really love it um yeah and she's got this big big lefty game i can't really think of a an equivalent it's not Kvitova. she is a big hitter like Kvitova, but it's not as it's not a flat hit like Kvitova. she's got quite a lot of shape on that on that forehand it's quite a quite a different shot um movement definitely her relative weakness at the moment but I don't think it's an absolute weakness to be exploited and I think it's improving all the time the story of course about her when she uh, had that run at the Australian Open is whether she would turn pro at the time because she was a college player um, playing for the North Carolina State somethings North, North Carolina, Carolina State. State. Is there not an animal associated with North Carolina State? Maybe. The North Carolina squirrels. The NFL team um, of, of uh, wolf. The Panthers. They're the wolf pack. Wolves, yes. They're the wolves. Mm. Yes. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah, so she was still playing for them and she had the dilemma about whether to, to go pro and collect the paycheck from the Australian Open um, or whether to continue in college. And she completed the tennis season in college and she was uh, an amateur player right up until Roland Garros, completed the NCAA championships and went straight from there 
to play Roland Garros, where I think she won the first round. She said she had a uh, she, well, a she felt a loyalty to the the team, having t- committed to them for the year. But b as a as a Russian player, um, she was very aware that sort of having a, a coaching setup and a training base uh, provided for her was a was a massive plus in a very difficult landscape. Um, she, so she stuck with them until Roland Garros, and and has been pro ever since. And her ranking is now is now on the climb. So I'm. I'm pleased to see uh, one slight area of vindication for my tennis takes. However, it is totally cancelled out by the fact that this is now back-to-back weeks where players that I've been so demoralised about that I've wanted them to take a break from tennis altogether have uh, (laughs) won titles. (laughs) Maybe you're the kind of spark that they needed Catherine <laughs> yeah maybe they Look, nobody's, it. nobody's happier for either of them than me trust me um Maria Sakari last week and Ange Jabeur this week but it does seem to have come out of nowhere for both yeah. of them I mean I it really did not feel to me over the last few weeks that Ange Jabeur was on on the cusp of things clicking again it felt to me like she was just sort of struggling on until the end of the season and I do wonder if the carrot of qualification for the finals is actually proving quite a big motivator for for Ange Jabeur just at the moment mm, it's it's interesting isn't it why why does it suddenly happen for somebody out of the blue like that? And I mean, we'll come on to talk about Veronica Kudamatova in a similar way, I think, because she'd had a, a bad time. And you you can just get convinced with good reason that a run is going to carry on, because why wouldn't it if it's a bad one or a good one? Um, but for Jabir, I only saw highlights of the matches she played, but the 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 joy in the stro- shot making seemed back. The she seemed to, in a in a way, certainly in the final, have just gone back to her old self of just playing fun shots. <laughs> and you know, she was hitting drop shot return winners, and and frankly toying with Schneider at times. And I mean, I'm, I I would imagine that really the the playbook against somebody who hits the ball as hard as Schneider does and is 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 very physical probably not to just give them the ball in the slot because they make them they're going to hurt you and if you don't then maybe they're not going to be able to cope and I, and I, it did come across i mean it was 6261 it came across pretty much as though she just doesn't come across a player like that very often and so Jabir gave her the full box of tricks i mean if that's the start of her at least feeling like herself again now then that's great mm. and she spoke about the importance of this in terms of the fact that it was her first ever hard court title which for someone who's who's been at the top of the game for so long and so much of tennis is played on hard courts is is kind of staggering but she said if i want to get better in grand slam finals i i need to be winning more titles and finals generally and that is something that i've thought about over the last few months or so when when we've been talking a lot about the comparisons between Kleisters and Jabir, you know, Kleisters losing all those Grand Slam finals and Ons Jabir losing her first few Grand Slam finals. And totally there is a comparison there, but it's it's never felt quite right to me. It's never quite scanned for me that because Kleisters was 
winning a lot generally on the tour and she was legitimately at times the best player in the world and she was sweeping titles and then unable to do it in the grandstand finals themselves. Ons Jabeur has not won that many titles in her career. I think this was maybe only her fifth, you know, which is a good number, but it's absolutely nowhere near the numbers that Kleisters have been racking up. It's, it's, not, it's not a huge amount that you say, oh, she absolutely should have a Grand Sam title to go with that as well. And if she can get that winning feeling a little bit more regularly, obviously it's always going to be different in a Grand Sam final. The pressure is going to be ramped up. There's, there's work you need to do to deal with those situations themselves. But I, it can't hurt to just win some more titles generally and know that winning feeling. And I think she realizes that. And, you know, I think a lot of people will maybe look at this and think, well, who did, who did she really beat? In this tournament, yes, I know. I know Diana Schneider is good, and uh, she had some tough wins as well over Podoroska, Zvonareva, Harriet Dart, um, not Harriet Dart, Diane Parry. I don't know why I said Harriet Dart. Um, you know, so these were you know solid wins, but all wins that you would think on Chabert should should be winning. But I think that that takes away from what you were saying about what a bad place on Chabert has been in recently over the last few months since Wimbledon really she's been struggling on court there was no guarantee that she would go on to court and and beat anyone playing playing her game but I think she found her game this week and that's just really really important for her to sort of get those good vibes and good feelings back on the court and and I think she found that last week and she's already already won her first match in in Beijing this week yeah, it's all coming thick and fast, isn't it? Uh, she's already beaten Ashlyn Kruger uh, in straight sets in Beijing, and then she plays Marta Kostyuk tomorrow. Um, and I've actually just seen a tweet from Petra Konvitova com- complaining about how thick and fast it's all coming. She says, far, far from ideal to finish my match at the China Open at 1am and then be back on the schedule at not before 5.30pm the next day. When some first when some first round matches had yet to be played, I have always played the sport with huge respect and rarely speak out. But this time, I feel strongly. She had beaten uh, Wang Jinyu, Jiyu, sorry, excuse me, uh, the left-hander Wang Jiyu, six-three uh, in the third, finishing at one a.m. Uh, yesterday, and then was back on to play Sam Sonova sort of a few hours later. She 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 later lost to that's. That's a tough scene, isn't it? I don't, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand any of the schedule. I don't understand why the matches in the did the did the schedule have to be that way? I don't, I don't understand any of it. Why is Alcaraz currently playing on not the main court? Why is any of it? <laughs> well thought. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that that is unusual for for Kvitova to speak out like that. Um, mm. You know, she, her, her her social media feed does tend to be everything's jolly and everything's lovely. And uh, well, good for her actually if she feels strongly about this. It, it does sound like a heck of a turnaround, and uh, hopefully she gets some answers. Hopefully we get some answers. Mm. Uh, over in Tokyo, Veronica Kudamatova not only beat Iga Svantec, but she also went on to win the title, beating Jessica Bagula seven five six one in the final. I don't look. I, I, I'm not. Uh, 
having just become an award-winning tennis podcaster, I'm really not making my sound like self sound like a very uh, proficient or knowledgeable tennis podcaster today. I don't understand Veronica Kudermetova as a tennis player. She's won two matches since Wimbledon. She does nothing at the slams. Nothing. She's reliably bad at slams. And yet, you know, she was, what, first alternate at the WTA finals last year, sort of low-key, very nearly qualified for that. Um, And here she is winning this title. Yeah, beating Shontek, beating Pagula, just popping up and looking fantastic every now and then. I saw her run at the Madrid Open earlier this year, ended up losing to Shontek in the semi-finals and came up very short that day, but had looked brilliant up until then. Um, I, I, I don't understand her lack of consistency, but when she's on... Well, she was awesome. She's, she's a force. Against Pagula, uh, particularly the, the the force of her shots, she was she was just taking it on all the time. Must have huge confidence suddenly, having strung a few together, which, as you say, given the run she'd had, I mean, she was that seeded player that when somebody you know is either coming up or like a Venus Williams beat her, you say, oh, well, she's just beaten Veronica Kudermetova, who's, what, 10 in the world or so. You kind of think, well, yeah, but she's playing terribly at the moment. She's 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 not a, a, a reliable gauge for how good a win is at the moment because she's having a terrible time. So this has really come out of the blue. And the, I mean, the Svantec win is an interesting one because she seems pretty erratic at the moment, I would say. But at the same time, she she she'd never won a set against her in the five previous meetings and she just comes out wins two out of three there I think the final to me is even more impressive because Pagula is reliable typically and uh, is playing good stuff the most of the time and Kuminatova just kind of knocked her off the courts particularly in that second set Mm. yeah she's she actually got a very good record Kuminatova against top 10 players considering that she's not really a top 10 player herself she just sort of hovers just outside that mark she's she's almost 50 50 when she does play players in in the top 10 which for someone of her ranking is really impressive like she can she can cause them a lot of problems it just shows how good she can be when she's on but absolutely she does just seem to disappear at the at the really big events the slam she's got no no great record there to speak of and goes on these these runs of not of not playing too well yeah I was impressed with her in in the final as as David said so many so many clean return winners in that in that second set just just clearly had her timing just just on in in that match um I think Pagula will be disappointed with the way the the first set ended with I think back-to-back double faults when she was serving to to stay in it and then the resistance did drop off a bit from her. Um, I think we probably should do our usual. This is a weird time of the tennis season. Like, I thought you were going to say, "What does it mean?" <laughs> oh no! Uh, like, <laughs> let's do that. As well, well. <laughs> it, it kind of ties into what does it mean in the yeah. What it what it means has to factor in the fact that this is a weird time of the tennis season. Yeah, and and right? I, and and. An overarching storyline of of the last couple of weeks is players winning titles who don't do a lot of winning generally. You know, Hatchinov won a title for the first time in five years. Sakari ended her drought. 
Kudamatova had lost four finals in a row before this. Jabur, as I said, doesn't win that many titles. And, you know, remember a year ago, we were talking about Felix Auger-Aliassime suddenly winning a load of titles in this sort of period of the tennis season. And that has absolutely not carried over. And I don't know, I just feel like all of these... All of these hot takes probably need a bit of cold water thrown on them just because it is this this slightly weird time of the tennis season and trying to draw a lot of meaning from it, I think, in the past has has just shown to be, you know, maybe a slightly pointless exercise. People can still do good things and, and improve and maybe carry it into next year and into the sort of meat of the tennis season. But there's there's no guarantee, I don't think. Pagula... Uh, has already qualified for Cancun. She's one of five players already to, already to have qualified. Sabalenka, Svantec, Goff, Rabakina, Pagula. So in the hunt for the last three remaining places, uh, really it's most likely a four-horse race for, for, for three places. I suppose you could put Madison Keys. I think Madison Keys and Petrogovitova have an outside chance. Um, but for now, just for the sake of simplicity, we can revisit in a week's time. I'm going to say Vondrosheva, Mukova, Jabur, Sakari. Now, it certainly feels like Jabur and Sakari are the ones on the charge with the bit between their teeth for those last two spots. But it's Vondrosheva and Mukova with the head-to-head. Now, I don't think Mukova is fit. So even if she did qualify, I'd say there's a, a good chance that that she wouldn't be able to play. I think she's withdrawn this week. Is that right? Uh, and Vondrosheva, I don't know whether she's fully fit. She certainly is playing. She lost to Angelina Kalinina in Beijing. And she she posted some screenshots of the sort of thing that we know happens and know is an everyday part of tennis players' lives these days, which is social media abuse, uh, when players lose from people that have gambled money on them and lost, essentially. There, there's a, there's other abuse out there as well. There's there's all flavours of abuse on the internet. Um, but the particular um, sickness that that I'm referring to here and that um, Vondrosheva was highlighting was, was that variety of abuse. And it is absolutely vile and uh out of control um un- unchecked um and it's it's all very well saying don't don't check social media well that's not the world we live in folks particularly not for young people their their lives are on social media and that's that's fine that might not how we all might not be how we all live our lives but i don't think it's really possible for young people to live their lives without being on social media and um yeah especially you know in a in an incredibly isolated isolating sport and lifestyle like like playing tennis things that enable you to form connections with people in the world and everything should not have to be discouraged in the way that in the way that some people do you know just for the sake of keeping yourself keeping yourself sane it's really like we know it's happening but I do think actually seeing it in the way that she showed it to us is quite powerful and as distressing as it is I think it's important that we do see it yeah I agree Uh, and I 
there's a kind of almost victim blaming for people if they're told oh don't go on it then you know well no <laughs> you shouldn't have to do that we should That's be like, actually don't trying... wear a short skirt then isn't it i mean yeah, just should <sighs> be trying to to do something about it and call it out and yeah i mean and, oh god it makes my blood boil whenever i see it you know these people with just so little in their lives that they that they gamble and then go on and abuse somebody because they their own choice didn't work out as they wanted well too bad but, but it's also i don't disagree with you david but i mean gambling addiction is is an illness um and I, a lot of, a lot of these people sending these messages will be suffering from that illness will be totally not of sound mind and look tennis is is not alone in this i don't think there's a sport on the planet that hasn't got into bed with gambling but you know there's there's blood on on the sport's hands right in terms of how we've invited gambling forces into the fold a lot um, of hypocrisy out there uh, absolutely because you know the sport is taking money from gambling organizations and then yeah these their own players are are suffering um yeah I, I I just it turns my stomach thinking about it. And it feels like we're in a stage with tennis addressing this problem in a very similar way to the way that changes to the sport are brought about, which is extremely slow. And, you know, the French Open this year trialed or certainly used something to block a lot of the hate comments that, that players were getting on social media and... You know, maybe that's something for us to follow up. But my my understanding at the time was that that was quite well received and and quite positive. In the same way that, for example, it was quite well well received at the next gen finals years ago that we would have video review or something. And then eventually, now several years later, it's starting to be brought in. It's just it just takes so long for for tennis to actually deal with it. And of course, that that goes back to the the very fractured governance i think of of the sport things things do seem to take time unless one of the absolute powers at be just sort of asserts yeah, themselves it, ev- everything takes a long time unless you're moving a whole grand slam <laughs> that six months later in the calendar <laughs> without any authorization what day that was a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. ATP results. We have a situation where Alexander Zverev won a title in Chengdu and is already in the semi-finals of another tournament. And this has all happened since we last recorded a podcast. And I don't understand how that can be the case. Um, he beat Roman Sifulin in the final of Chengdu. He's going to play Daniel Medvedev in the semi-finals in Beijing. So that, that... <laughs> six of his seven matches have all gone three sets. So he's been he's been, he's been on the court more often than he's not in the last uh, week or so. Yeah, interesting. I mean, Medvedev's always had his number, hasn't he? But he he won their last meetings, Zverev, in Cincinnati when Medvedev didn't look right to me. And on the basis of that performance, I. I didn't have particularly high hopes for him at the US Open. Little did I know. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's an, it's a more interesting matchup than it has felt in years gone by. I think there's Zverev Medvedev one, and of course it it comes with a history of aggro, which is a a lovely embellishment. Let's ho- let's hope they lean back into that. I mean, I, I am <laughs> curious to know whether you regard six three set wins out of seven matches played as more why are you going three sets all the time against these people or hmm, that shows some oh, resilience. Oh, the question. Mm. Yes. I do, I do think over the course of Zverev's career, he's, he is very much in the Nishikori camp for, for going way too long in matches that, frankly, he should have cleaned up ages ago, but actually showing quite a bit of grit and not just falling apart. Uh, to to get the wins and then still often being able to come back the next day and get another one. But I do think over the course of his career, he's he's probably cost himself some serious runs in Grand Slams and and other tournaments by doing this. Mm. Yeah, look, I think I think if you're going three sets with Pavel Kotov in in Chengdu, then we can probably question that, but if you're if you're scrapping for a great three set win over Nicholas Jarry, then that's just <laughs> that's just very very impressive. And here we are at <laughs> Nicholas Jarry. Um, he was he was one set away from leading this podcast. 
honestly, we, we were like, what, what's the story here other than us, us with, <laughs> winning an award? <laughs> we were looking for, you know, the second lead. And if Jarry had beaten Zverev to continue his role and make it to the semi-finals, Jarry would have been it. We had a title in everything. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, not to be, ended up losing out to Zverev, but still has the title. No one can ever take that away from him, Matt. Jerry ascending, do you mean? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he, he had a great week. He, he beat uh, Sitsipas in in straight sets, saved three match points against against the ascending uh, Arnaldi. Actually, he's he's a player on our radar, isn't he? After he beat uh, Artafis at the U.S. Open and had a fun match against Alcaraz, he's he and did well for Italy in, in the Davis Cup. So that was a good win for Jerry and good match today. Is very Jerry. I didn't see much of the first set, which. I think Jerry only won eight points in that set, so it wasn't there wasn't much to see anyway. Um, but then sets two and three were were very high quality, and um, David's right. Like I do think there is a there is a very impressive grit to Zverev in these matches. As, as much as you might think, you know, he, he he should be winning a lot of these more easily, and I, I do think that. I I trust him physically to be able to keep going, and he's just so so hard to put away for other players like he 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 digs deep in those in those deciding sets and, and does have a very impressive record in all seriousness matt what is jerry's ceiling he's <laughs> i think just inside the top 20 now or hovering around the top 20 mm. basically a, a top 20 player now just is that it does it does he have could he what's what's his potential honestly Honestly, I think around 15 in the world. Like, I, I don't really see him as a top 10 player. He does, game style-wise, he reminds me of when Kevin Anderson was at his best in that, in that two or three-year period. In that It's all quite methodical, and there's very good technique. And he, if he's playing well, it's, it's going to be good, you know, because things are working. But I, I don't sense that much sort of, ability to really subtly adapt or that much variety his movement is not his best attribute um but at the moment he's just in in, in some pretty good form and, and I, I like his approach he just he comes at you he, he likes coming forward he hits a big ball he's got some nice hands up at the net he's, he's played well on all surfaces this year hardcourt probably the maybe the worst surface for him at the moment he's had really good results on clay he was very impressive at Wimbledon against Alcaraz. I see him. I see him that he's pretty much maxing out right now. To be to be quite honest, maybe a little bit better. He's uh, you know that's a very good level. Fifteen, fifteen or so in the world. I think would be a would be a good target for Nicholas Jarry. So Zverev beat Jarry. Plays Medvedev. The other semi-final in Beijing will be Alcaraz, who just beat Casper Ruud. And he will take on the winner of the match currently on court between Yannick Sinner and Grigor Dimitrov. Sinner is serving for the opening set. So we could be on, sorry Dimitrov, but we could be on for Sinner Alcaraz. You know I got that I was, wrong? You, no, I was going to say, you know what I was saying about how <laughs> so many people recently have, have won titles for the first time in a long time? Grigor, this is... This is your time. Oh. Didn't we didn't we have a look the other day that he hasn't won a title 
since the, the ATP, ATP finals, finals in 2017. Even longer ago than Karen Hashinov, who broke his duck this mm. week or last week, sometime in the recent <laughs> past. Hashinov probably um, hasn't won a title since we had Matt on for the first time. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, since we were all high on him. Yeah. One <laughs> zoo high. Beat Nishioka in the final. Uh I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna make you do a what does it mean with Hashinov winning zoo high. Don't oh, worry. Unless anybody's got, got thoughts and feelings. Matlab takes. I mean, he was having a very good year, wasn't he, Hashinov, before he got injured. He was semi final in Australia, quarter final at Roland Garros, semi final in Miami, I think, as well. Like really he was showing up at a lot of the big events and um then got injured came back at the US Open didn't look didn't look ready at all got absolutely rolled by Michael Moe there and um has just just won this title pretty pretty convincingly actually in um where was it Zuhai <laughs> in Zuhai when was it where was it yeah who can say who can yeah. say some some point in the last week or so <laughs> Definitely China, and at some point in the last week. Um, I'm finding the crowd situation tough in at these events as well, these Chinese events. I mean, I'm looking here at Dimitrov Sinner. I mean, this is, this is one of the better crowds. It's the last match of the day. Um, and I realise it's partly a stadium design feature, a little bit like the um, Caja Magica in Madrid, even when it's fuller, it doesn't look super full because it's a bit sort of boxy and metallic somehow, but it also is not full and hasn't been anywhere close to full um, all, all week. Or I, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen a, a full stadium or anything close to, and it's, it's tough, you know. Alcaraz against Musetti yesterday morning, I think that was... Maybe the morning before. Who knows? Time means nothing. Um, you know, Alcaraz wasn't doing any of his playing to the crowd stuff because there was no crowd to play to. And it was all just a bit sort of, ah. It makes so, such a difference. Yeah, it does. Uh, I did a lot of commentary on this time of year back when BT Sport had the rights to the WTA Tour and I would do Wuhan and... Um, Beijing, and I used to get demoralised really because yeah, well, no, there's nothing better than a, a really invested and loud and into it tennis crowd. And I mean, you know, it was pointed out to me a few times that look, there is there are some cultural differences here to 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 maybe what I'm used to, and and I should perhaps bear that in mind before before throwing my opinions around and I do do accept that and there's a sort of education there's a learning about the sport and there's you know being introduced to the sport as well and because because I was thinking well you know why why again why is the WTA tour so invested in an area where there aren't crowds you know and obviously there's Uh, a massive financial money yeah obviously there's a massive financial reason for that um and and it did kept getting pointed out to me that how do you how do you make a sport grow if you don't go to it and and try to introduce and obviously there's a huge number of people there but it just doesn't feel over the years now obviously a pandemic has happened in the meantime but but even in the periods before that it didn't feel like the progression was as much as you'd want it to be and and i mean listen there's you know one of our listeners last graph is the 
tournament director in in Beijing and and you know there's a lot of people working incredibly hard to try to make these events as successful as they can they've got they've got a good field they've got a huge prize money all the rest of it I think it does it comes down to the atmosphere but also again it's so late in the year and you know I think I think it's Mary who sometimes says shouldn't the tennis tour just really stop after the U.S. Open um and have a proper off season to get re-energized because much as i love it 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 everybody's hanging on everybody's hanging on and trying to pump themselves up again again players and perennial tv watchers i suppose because people in the markets you would you would hope that they're introduced to the sport for the first time in their year and they go and watch it well okay maybe not as many as we would like i am struggling with it compared to other times of the year there's no question about that um and i do feel that could do it being looked at yeah i agree it's been a kind of uh if if you build it they will come attitude which i i i that can certainly be the case that can work out but i'm just not seeing the evidence that that it's moving in the right direction uh and it's a bit demoralizing um, but yeah, fingers crossed for the future. Uh, so WTA Beijing has already started. Sabalenka has thrashed Sophia Kenin one on one. She faces Katie Bolter next. Uh, Svontek has uh, started winning again. She beat Sara Saribes Tormo. Andreva, Mira Andreva beat Barbora Krejcikova two and two. And Coco Goff has won her first match since the US Open. She beat Katarina Alexandrova, who can be really tricky, actually. Seven, five, six, three. I think that's that's good. Good performance, good win from Coco Goff. ATP Shanghai starts Wednesday. I was just going to say a point of note on Igor Svantec today against Saras Rubes Torma. I watched quite a lot of this. She came to the net Svantec twenty-seven times, which, wow, for her and kind of for anyone in a in a pretty straightforward two-set match is a lot. And she wasn't doing that last week, so I don't know whether it was particularly. Sp- specific to Cerebes Torma. I have always thought, why don't more people come to the net against her when she's sort of looping the ball up or slicing it and you really don't want to end up in a long marathon against her. Perhaps it was specific tactics. But she has spoken about, you know, I think no longer being number one, going going to number two, almost like there's just a mindset of, right, now I need to I need to improve because I'm no longer the best and I need to work on my game. And I, I wonder whether... We spoke about it a bit at the US Open. Trying to trying to bring back some of that variety that she used to have would be a, mm. a good play for Sviantec to sort of kick on and, and develop even more as a as a player. And if, if if that involves a bit more net game, then then that would be quite interesting as well. So I'm I'm keen to see whether whether that continues for Sviantec because yeah, twenty seven times is is an order of magnitude more than That's than you would expect from her. Taylor Townsend esque. <laughs> Um, our last bit of news from the week um, involves Zhang Xinwen, who won gold at the Asian Games last week. She beat Zhu Lin in the final there um, and then announced after that win that her coach, Wim Fissette, uh is no longer her coach. He's going back to work with 
Naomi Osaka, who he was coaching before Osaka took a break from the sport. She said, during the US Open, I knew he had contact with the team of Osaka. Right after the quarterfinal match, he said to me that he felt like he had no connection with me. He never said that to me before. And then a week later, Jung says, Fusset told her he would be joining Osaka's team. I cried after hearing that, she said. There were no fights, no arguments in our collaboration. I thought that was an unethical end to that collaboration. I understand that Osaka can provide a better offer to him. I understand from his perspective this might be a better position. He has a family to support. I understand his decision, but it doesn't mean I will forgive him for making such a decision. I really feel for her here, and I actually think those are incredibly mature quotes, really, sort of understanding why it's an appealing offer for him to go back to working with Osaka, but being devastated by the sounds of things about the way it's all happened and the way she's been treated in in this situation. I know it's a bit of a lawless land, isn't it? Coaching, coaching arrangements. It's all pretty unregulated and can feel quite informal. And there are a lot of changes and I'm sure there are a lot of grievances that we don't hear about. Um, But this... It doesn't sound great to me, does it? We obviously haven't heard his side of the story. I, I, I too, can absolutely understand why going back to Naomi Osaka and resuming that arrangement is uh, extremely appealing for him. But, uh, yeah, this doesn't doesn't sound great, does it? Very, very unusual to have quotes like that on the WTA website which is where where I saw them earlier today and yeah very interesting to hear somebody come out and speak as strongly as that now I think they, they were said to reporters they were they were also replicated on the WTA website um, I suppose the lawlessness you, you reference is is what a an unsecure type of job coaching is as well that how many coaches bring a player through and then they have a bit of a bad passion and they're out on the rear. You know, and and I think there's, there's, there are some coaches and maybe Winford said is one. There are certainly others that, that just think, I'm basically in this for me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maximise. And if that means being a bit of a mercenary and taking whatever you can get, highest offer, best contract, that's what I'm going to do because so often loyalty in inverted commas either way isn't necessarily rewarded and uh but I do feel for her in this in this instant she she'd actually made some real strides of late she'd she'd had that was it US Open quarterfinal you know real real progress and this having come off the back of a pretty fallow period following the initial arrival on the scene and the, the hype frankly from people like us um but she'd she'd sort of started to put it together she's had this good this win at the asian games and i i think when you then find somebody you really do like working with and it's going well it must really be hard to take particularly as a she's a 20 year old girl 20 year old young woman isn't she i know that um you know, in, in a business sense, exactly as you describe, it's it's all pretty cutthroat. People have to make mercenary decisions. 
I do understand that, but she's a she's a tennis player, you know, and she's she's twenty years old and no experience of, of the world. I, I think it was Matt Futterman that was telling us, uh, Matt Futterman in the New York Times that was telling us at, at the US Open a bit of her background in the age at which she was, you know, separated from her parents to, to commit to tennis. I think she was seven years old, as I, I remember, seven or eight, um, which is not that uncommon a, a story in tennis. You know, okay, that's extreme, but... <laughs> young players just being sort of abandoned uh, in in pursuit of this incredibly ruthless sport that requires crazy sacrifice um, in order to succeed. Uh, Just on a human level, um, that that abandonment and breach of trust for uh, someone so young um, is quite traumatic, I think. And as much as on a business level, I understand it, from from Wimfoset, there's such a deficit of experience, world life experience. There, it feels, I don't know, it just it feels so uncomfortable to me. Um, and I think that's why regulation has to come in, right? Regulation of some, I don't know what it would look like, but has to acknowledge that that deficit somehow. That, as ever, with so many of these situations regarding coaching in the WTA I'm just so acutely aware all the time that it's young women and older men and that informs everything about those those dynamics and I don't I don't personally think that's accounted for enough in in any in any situation so I really wish her well and I wish Wim Fassett well with Naomi Osaka no nobody wants that to go well more than me I mean I'm I'm there's another part of me that's really excited that they're getting the band back together and at the prospect of a hungry Naomi Osaka picking up where she left off before that's fantastic but yeah it's a tough one mm. just just one other story that I saw came out of the Asian games and I'm not fully aware of all of all the details of this but um Sun Woo Kwon of of South Korea was apparently absolutely devastated not to win his match and there and not to win the tournament in fact there is a thing in South Korea where if you win an Asian Games gold medal I believe it would have counted if it was in singles or in doubles it would have got him out of uh, mandatory military service Um, but because he because he didn't win it, it sounds like he is going to have to do eighteen months of military service. Now, I don't, I don't know whether he gets another chance next year. I, I must say, I don't know all, all the details there, but I do see a lot of headlines. I remember it being a big deal last year with uh, Son, the Tottenham Hotspur player that I believe they won, and 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 that got him out of that. I think some of the golfers on the PGA Tour, um, Sung Jae Im and Siwoo Kim have just, just won medals and it's it's made them exempt from military service. But I think Sun Woo Kwon and I'm sure other South South Korean players as well, but he's he's the most high profile one was, was sort of aiming to use those Asian games as a way of of, you know, being able to continue his, his tennis career. And it sounds like um it sounds like he is going to have to do that military service. So as I said, I don't know all the details there, but that was that was one of the stories that I saw reported out of out of that event. Wow, talk about high stakes. Mm. 
Um, the gold was in the men's was won by Zhang Zhizhen. Yes, wasn't it? Of China. Another player that I'm always saying he's really good. <laughs> I do think he's really good. Mm. Um, our mascot for this week is Luna. Luna is owned by Richard Nussel. She is an 11 year old black Labrador. And she is a returning mascot. She's Richard says she's very pleased to be a mascot again. Since last time, her quiet life has been upset by the arrival of two kittens, Mason and Leo, that have very rudely affected her quiet life here in Uxbridge, London. Into animal friendships are my favourite thing. But are they friends? That's the that's the big question. Well, they might not be. Let us know, Richard. <laughs> Let us know. Oh, when dogs and cats like share a basket together, it just it melts me. <laughs> um, we have our mascots. I've got Zenya. Pretty sure we didn't get points, Zenya, but maybe maybe whoever we picked hasn't even played yet, or maybe they've won a title, or maybe both. I can inform you that the only reason you haven't got points yet is because the tournament hasn't finished. Oh, I went for Medvedev, didn't yes. I? So I could still get points. <laughs> oh. What did right. I go for? Okay. I went for Azarenka, didn't I? That definitely didn't work out. Uh, sorry to Maisie for that. Matt and Darwin? No, bad, How did you bad, fare? bad, bad, bad. Okay. Uh, Billie Jean is always winning at life. She is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers on three. They are three, two, one, Jamie, Jamie, Hannah Hannah and Drew. And And I got a lovely gift from Jamie. And uh, and it was a it was a beautiful beer glass. Uh, And and I I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Jamie for that. Oh, Mm. love that. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, and thank you to Hannah and Drew as well. Uh, shout outs today, Matt. Who have we got? We have Juno Chaser in California. Oh, Juno. hello, Juno. What a cool name. Juno's mm. uh, a, a Roman god. Goddess? Go- goddess, yeah. Yeah, Roman. Yeah. And a film. The protector and special counsellor of the state. She was equated to Hera, queen of the gods in Greek mythology. Yes, film. Good film. Do do you know he's from California? Yes, Pacifica, California, to be specific. It sounds lovely. Mm. Thanks, Juno. Thank you, Juno. We've also got uh, a shout-out for Marisol and Lydia in New Jersey. All right, Marisol and Lydia. So many listeners in New Jersey. Mm. Hello, Marisol and Lydia. Did you see the pictures this week of Bruce Springsteen just out and about in a diner in free, Freehold? Just Yes, yeah. looking well, which is good. Looking very well. The important All thing. your yes. faves are out and about, Ma- aren't Mar- they? Mm. Marisol and... Lydia. Lydia, if you see Bruce out and about, do... Do send him our best. <laughs> Taylor Swift can't get away from NFL games. No, my my uh, journey of getting into the NFL seems to have coincided completely by accident with Taylor Swift's journey of trying to get into the NFL. It's the most serendipitous thing that has ever happened, David. 
Maybe she'd heard Marv- about Marvellous turn thought, of events. Oh, oh, must, must yeah, be something I know. This, but... I got there first. Well, the timeline's muddy. Who knows who got there first? Um, final shout out, Matt. <laughs> she, she seems a bit more into it than you. <laughs> but you haven't seen me in my living room. <laughs> I was watching okay. at 3am last night. I know. I, I understand the rules now. And it turns out really helps one's level of interest if you understand what's going on. Mm. Mm. Final shout out, Matt. <laughs> Final shout out comes from uh, Tracy Collins, and he's dedicating it to his partner Carrie Collins. Oh, that's lovely. Tracy Good says, you, Tracy. "Well, if you think that's lovely, listen to this." Tracy says, "Carrie was my prom date, and we reconnected forty years later, and we're now married." Oh. How lovely. Whoa. Pretty keen to what, hear what happened in the intervening 40 years, <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> That's so cool. They, oh. they are in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Been to Cincinnati. Yeah. Home of the tournament. It's hope for your sake. It's still there many years from now with Charlotte trying yeah, its I, best I'm to I'm not sure it. it is going to be David, so let's... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Cincinnati. Well, it's it's not actually home of the tournament, is it? It's no. Mason. H- home anyway, of the, h- home of the uh, the Bengals. Mm. You knew that. I knew that. <laughs> um, me and Taylor Swift both knew that. Uh, right. I think that's it for this week we'll be back in a week when some tournaments will be finished some won't some will be just starting some will be at the sort of quarterfinal stage we can't wait folks <laughs> um i i know i'm i'm being down on this part of the tennis season but sometimes these are our favorite pods aren't they when tennis is all a bit weird uh, so thank you for coming on this journey with us in the final portion of the tennis season it is always a pleasure to talk to you every week and we'll be back with another one of these in a week's time we'll speak to you then 